We are returning to this series, It Is Well With My Soul. I want to review just a few things that we studied last year. That's when I left off, was at the end of December. The physical purpose of a well in an arid desert climate, a well served as a vital source of life. In addition, they were so scarce, usually one per town, it also became a social gathering place. And we see that with the woman at the well and other stories in the Bible. And since they were so difficult to dig and so valuable a resource, wells were often also a source of conflict and contention. And so we, we know the, the physical purpose of a well, but there's also a metaphorical meaning when we see these wells in different stories. We see the life-sustaining quality of a well symbolize salvation and redemption. It exemplifies the importance of community and fellowship. We don't gather around the well or even the water cooler anymore. It also is a metaphor for wisdom, refreshment to the soul, and also a representation of personal character. And wells also carry great historical importance. And there are so many Bible stories that mention a well that serves a significant role in the story. And so in our series, in a play on words... Do you want it to be well with your soul? I hope so. Life can be difficult. Times can be hard. But it can still be well with our soul. And I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of soul care. We are to care for our souls. And if it is well with your soul, you will be able to face, manage, and overcome any hardship, trial, or temptation, or tribulation. See, it's, it's about the condition of your heart, the condition of your soul that determines the quality of your life. It's not the circumstances out here. It's not the possessions and things that are out here. Those will not give us the happiness we desire. But it's, how the, it's the condition of our soul. How are we responding internally? And if it is not well with your soul, it will not be well in other areas of your life either. And so the root problem is that many of us are struggling with a lack of a well-being in our soul. We have not pursued our, the care of our soul or emphasized or prioritized this caring for this critical area of our lives. Maybe, maybe we don't even think about our soul. We think about our body. We think about our spirit. But we don't often consider our soul. And we care for the body and we care for the spirit. But how do we care for our soul? In the book Soul Care, Rob Reimer says this. If you want to be physically healthy, there are certain principles you have to follow. You have to eat right and exercise. And I hate that. The older I get, I hate it more and more. If you violate those principles, then your health deteriorates. You know, I've I've eaten so much McDonald's, I am a, a quarter pounder with cheese. It is the same with soul care principles. If you follow them, your soul can be healthy. If you ignore them, your soul suffers. And so we know how to get healthy physically through diet and exercise. We know how to get healthy spiritually through reading the word and prayer. But do we know how to become healthy in our soul? We are triune beings. This is how God created us. Body, soul, and spirit. And this is backed up by many scriptures that speak of the difference between the body and the soul and the difference between the soul and the spirit. And we see all three of these mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, 
the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, there is a distinction and a delineation between the body, the soul, and the spirit. The soul, if we want to define it, is it has often been defined as the mind, the will, and the emotion. So the soul is comprised of those three things, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so the question is, how is your mental health? How is your emotional health? How is the healthiness of your decision-making and your choices? Because that's from our souls. And God really cares about your well-being. He doesn't just care about healing you physically, but He wants to heal us spiritually and certainly in our souls as well. And He has written much about it in God's Word. The Lord describes the soul and how He responds to our souls. We see this in the most famous psalm of all, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. And so not only does God restore our soul and and want to restore our soul, He shows us how. You see, we have to follow His lead. He's our shepherd. And as long as He is leading, we, we have everything we need. And we also have to learn to rest in the Lord. Sometimes he has to make us lie down in green pastures. I just see us resisting rest sometimes. We don't take a Sabbath. We don't restore our souls. But So God has to make us lie down in green pastures. And we resist it all the way. And we need to be still. The quiet waters, the still waters. We need to be still and know that he is God. I firmly believe there's too much noise in our lives, too much busyness in our lives that we can't even hear God's still small voice. And so it's imperative that we are healthy in our soul, that we care for our soul. And it's not selfish to take care of your soul. And sometimes to take care of your soul, you have to set boundaries. Sometimes you have to say no. You know, we usually say yes to everything and we overload ourselves and then we get resentful. But sometimes being healthy is is saying no, not to God, but to every other demand out there. And the Bible says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we forget that the Bible says that we're to love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is, is we either love ourselves too much or too little. And so I want you to understand it's not selfish to take care of your emotions. It is not self-centered to understand your mind and control the thoughts and submit them to Jesus Christ. Because that's where the battle is. Much of the battle is in our mind, and then our mind influences our emotions. It's what we think. It's what we believe. It's garbage in, garbage out. And so it's important for us to know these things because God cares about our mental and emotional state. I believe there are many who are hurting and wounded in their souls. I see it all around, especially during this this crazy COVID season. People are hurting. And we're not always aware of it, that the person right next to you or a, a, a row away is really discouraged, really downtrodden, downcast in their soul. And this this hurting and this wounded souls 
are affecting other areas of our lives and they're also affecting our relationships. If you have a wounded soul, many times you will wound other souls. And so we have to be healed. We have to be restored so that we can be a healer, a catalyst to others of God's power. The Lord wants to heal our souls. However, there are things that damage our souls, that bring harm to us and poison our souls. And I want to talk about that this morning. We see this in the life of Isaac. You know the story, Abraham and Sarah bore Isaac in their old age. He was 100, she was 90. Who wants kids at that age? But they did. It was God's promise that came true after 25 years of waiting and a few mistakes along the way. But now this, this promised son, Isaac, was a grown man. And he had a wife, Rebecca, and two sons, Jacob and Esau. It's interesting that Abraham sent a servant to find a wife for his son, Isaac, and this servant met Rebekah at a well. So again, it's a good place to meet someone. And so here we see that Isaac is living in Gerar, which is in the southern part of Canaan that would someday become Israel. And right now it's the Gaza Strip area, if you want to know where Gerar was. And so it's in that southern area along the coast where Isaac was. And this is where we pick up our story. Look at Genesis twenty-six twelve. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. How many know the Lord blesses the work of our hands? We need to give him glory and give him praise because it's not us. It's the Lord blessed him. Isaac just planted the crops and did the watering, but God brought the increase. And so the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines, which was a race of people inhabiting that area, envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. In this passage, we see the danger of envy and the damage it can inflict upon our souls and the souls of others. And so I want to talk to you about envy. It's been a long time since I preached on envy, and so buckle up. Number one, envy is the desire for what others have and the discontentment with what we have. That's a definition of envy. It's It's the desire for what other people have that we want. But it's also the discontentment with what we have. And how many of you know, there are people that probably envy what you have. But we're envying someone else. And if we'd all just stop envying, maybe we'd be a whole lot happier. Because envy is that feeling of discontentment and ill will because of another person's advantage. Possessions or, or position. It is a resentful dislike of someone else who has something you desire. And so Isaac was prosperous. God had prospered him. God had blessed him. And he was living near the Philistines. And I'm going to get more into the Philistines next week. Boy, they were a perennial enemy of Israel. Caused so much trouble and difficulty. And so the the people he was living around got jealous and envious at his prosperity. 
They had crops and herds and flocks and servants. Why, why did they have to envy what Isaac had? Because Isaac had so much more and they wanted it. So how do we handle when someone has more than we do? How do we manage it? How do we, how do we feel about that? Especially if we think we're more deserving, right? You know, we're more righteous. We're more godly. We're more humble. Yeah, right. Then we just proved we're not. It's really hard to see others prospering, especially if you don't think they deserve it, and you do. And we all struggle with envy. Let's be real about this. Because it is something we have to deal with if our souls are going to be healthy. And so how do we feel when the wicked prosper? They seem to prosper. The psalmist of, the writer of Psalm 73 felt that same way. He looked at the wicked and he he thought they prospered and they had no troubles. Let's look at it. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. And here's why. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This will cause our feet to slip. When we look at other people and we envy the arrogant, when we envy the prideful, when we envy the wicked because of all they have. And sometimes it seems that their life is so much easier. People that are born into wealth or people that have had it passed down for generations, it seems that they they don't appreciate it like we would. God, I'd appreciate it more. I deserve it more. But if if we envy... What God has given others, watch your feet, because you're going to stumble. See, we, we get our eyes off Jesus, and we start getting our eyes on things. And, you know, there's a vehicle that is readily available to really stir up envy. I mean, this is, this is a tool that if you don't have any envy, it'll, it'll give you bunches of it. And it's called social media, Right? I mean, you, you look through the pictures, you look through the posts, and we see someone's vacation in Hawaii, and you can only afford a vacation in Boron. Bless God. Yeah, I've lived in places like Boron. I'm not making fun of it. There's a mine there, and it's pretty cool. Or we see someone's brand new car while we're driving a maroon 1999 Ford F-150 with multiple dents in it caused by four children and one son-in-law. For example. And so that's what envy is. Number two, envy seeks to stop up the wells of others. That's what the Philistines did. They said, oh, we'll, we'll shut down this guy's prosperity. We'll cut off his life source. And it was. You had to have water for the flocks and the herds and for your own existence. And so they thought they would get back at Isaac by sealing off his wells that had been passed down from generation of of Abraham. And out of envy and spite, they filled them full of dirt because they were so hard to dig and so difficult, and they, they destroyed these wells. Sometimes we not only envy the favor of others, we may wish them to be cursed instead. Oh, not you, but sometimes me. But Jesus said to bless those who curse you. 
Proverbs says not to rejoice or gloat when your enemy stumbles and falls. See, the Lord doesn't want us to wish any harm on anyone. There is not a person alive that Jesus doesn't love and wants us to reach. And so we've got to, we've got to watch our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts against envy. Because envy opens the door to other things. It opens the door to evil and division. Look at James 3.16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You know, we can make a competition out of anything, can't we? I mean, we can make it, okay, I'm going to be more spiritual than you. I'm, I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. and pray and and then you're going to get up at 5.30 and then I'm going to get up at 5. And then you're going to get up at 3 and then I'm going to pray all night. You know, we can, we can make a competition even out of prayer. It's just kind of part of our nature to compete and to compare. And even as children, I see my, my grandsons want what the other one has, even though what they have is enough. It's, it's part of that sin nature to want what you don't have and what someone else has. Now, what's interesting and ironic about this is, you know, they closed off these wells that they could have used themselves, the Philistines. They had flocks and herds, and, and despite themselves, to cut off their nose, despite their face, whatever that idiom means, they closed the very wells that could have helped them as well. And, and that's what happens is envy doesn't just hurt other people, it hurts ourselves. Number three. Envy stifles the well-being of our own soul. It harms us. One of the most destructive things to your mind, to your emotions, is envy. It is like a disease that eats away at our soul. Look at Proverbs 14.30 in the Amplified Bible. A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body. But envy, jealousy, and wrath are like rottenness of the bones. You know what most people are wanting? Peace of mind. Now they're trying everything to get it. They think it's, you know, having more possessions or more money or whatever it may be. But they still don't have that peace of mind. And what this is saying here is that that peace of mind brings life and health to our body. So when our soul is healthy, it actually brings health to our body. And we, we've seen this in the research. Even those who are not believers in Jesus can attest that a right attitude can make you more healthy and a wrong attitude can make you less healthy. It takes a physical toll. And this is what I love about God's Word. It speaks the truth. It, this has been known for, for generations. And so, a calm and undisturbed mind, that's all we want. A heart are the life and health of the body. But envy, it rots our bones from the inside out. It eats away. It's a soul killer. And it will make us bitter against people and even against God. You know, God is our Father. He knows what we need and... He, he's the author of all good gifts. And he gives to whom he pleases. He gives gifts to whom, how he decides. It's, it's up to the Lord. And so we shouldn't envy what someone else has. We should, we should rejoice with him. And I'll tell you what. Here's the real test. If you're on social media 
and you see a post that makes you envy, just like it. That's how you'll overcome your envy is just hit like. You know, how many times do we want a unlike button, you know, hate it. You know, we want a hate it button. Smash that button in the eye. I don't like it at all. Now, they've added a few more emoticons like care and love, but we, we really want that other button. And so if you're really wishing for that other button, just hit the like button. Just deal with your own envy and just say, you know what? I'm going to like what they're saying. Because envy only makes our situation worse. The envy of others does damage to ourselves. The key is to learn to be content with what we have. To be satisfied with what God has given. So much of our struggle is due to discontentment. And God has decided our lives. You know that. The Bible says that He has set our boundaries. And our lot is secure. The Lord has done this. And so we should be content. Even if it's not everything we want... He will help us with everything we need. When I was a kid growing up in Yarrington, Nevada, it was a big deal for us to travel to Reno sometimes. Maybe once a month on a Saturday, we'd drive the 70 miles from Yarrington, Nevada that didn't you know, have any of the fa- fancy stores and restaurants to Reno, Nevada. Now, at that time, there was two cities, Reno and Sparks. Do you remember that? Does anybody remember? There's, they've grown together now. But, you know, people used to say back in the day that Reno's so close to hell you can see sparks. It was funny back then. But anyway, um, so we'd go to Reno so close to hell that we could see sparks. And one of the coolest things was going to Kmart. I mean, Kmart was bomb back then. So Kmart was the place. I mean, there was no Walmart and are there any Kmarts left? I mean, even the one in, in Tapscon, I think, right? But boy, back in the day, Kmart was the place. And man, I'd hang out in the toy aisle. Oh, just glory. So I loved those trips. And, and if, we, if we were good and things went well and I didn't fight too much with my brother, then we would stop at Baskin Robbins 31 Flavors Ice Cream. Oh, Yeah. But you know what was interesting? I so frustrated my family every time because I always ordered vanilla. Here we are, 31 flavors, and all you can order is vanilla. I heard that so many times. Yeah, because I'm content with vanilla. I'm right with God. I don't need 31 flavors. I just need one. And so envy makes us discontent with the good we already have. Come on now, vanilla's good enough. Bless God. In addition, number four, envy eventually results in rejection. This is why it's so important that we guard our hearts from this. Abimelech told Isaac, you need to leave. You're too big for us. You need to get out of here. And sometimes that's what envy will do to us. We will drive people out of our lives. We will cut them off. Again, Isaac could have benefited them. They could have used these wells as resources themselves. And if we can't have what others have, we oftentimes reject those very same people. And that's what exactly what happened to Jesus at his trial before Pilate. Look at Mark chapter 15, verse 9. 
Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate was not a a religious man. He was a Roman authority, and yet he could see right through their ruse. He knew that the, the chief priests and the leaders were jealous and envious of Jesus. And so they wanted to put him to death. And that's, that's tragic. Because Jesus came to save those very people. He came to offer his life as a ransom for you and me. That's why Jesus came and yet they were envious of him. Because here he was this uneducated carpenter. And he had this huge following of people He was a a simple man, and yet he did miracles. And so they couldn't deny the miracles. They couldn't deny that God's hand was on him. And so because they were envious, they were losing their influence. They were losing the praise of man that they loved so much. They were so envious that they overlooked the very Messiah they had been preaching about. They had been telling the people who the Messiah would be. And Jesus fulfilled every one of those Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. And they couldn't even see it. They couldn't see it. Because envy blinds us to the good that is right before us. Envy blinds us to the God that is right before us. When I was a senior in high school, I owned a Chevy Love pickup. Chevy Love. Anybody remember Chevy Love? L-U-V. That's how it was spelled. Chevy Love pickup. Had a custom paint job. Had a, had a camper shell matching the truck and running lights. So, yeah, this was just, this was a very cool vehicle. And so, eventually the coolness was too much and I decided to sell it. I was getting ready to, to go to college and so I thought I need to get rid of this Chevy Love pickup. So I planned to sell it to a friend. So I was I popped the hood, made sure everything looked normal. You know, didn't know what I was looking for, but you know, it looked you ever wonder what are they looking at? None of us know what we're looking at unless we're a mechanic, but it's the position you hold. And so I checked it out and I slammed the hood shut, but there were these two cotter pins. Yeah, have you ever seen a vehicle with that where they had cotter pins for the hood and I just lazy wanting to get going. I didn't put the cotter pins back in. I heard it latch, we're good. And so I had to drive 60 miles from Round Mountain, Nevada, where I lived, to Tonopah, where I was going to sell the truck. And so I was with a buddy, and we were driving along and going about 65 miles an hour. And then they were doing highway construction. They were working on the highway, and it was like a rumble strip. The whole lane was like a rumble strip. And pop, the hood pops open and folds back over the windshield. And we're like, we're going to die. That's a true story. It happened just like that. And we screamed and swerved until I thought we were going to die. We finally got off the highway. We were totally blinded and could have crashed. And that's what envy does. It blinds us from seeing what is the head, the good that we have right now and the blessings God has for us tomorrow. It blinds us to the plans of God. And you know what his plans are? Not to harm you, but to bless you, to give you a hope and a future. And so I know we we all battle with some sense, some level, some degree of envy. And so I just want to invite us this morning to come before the Lord. And let's just take a few moments to have an altar right where we sit. You don't have to get up. You don't have to come down. 
But let's just have a time of worship and seeking the Lord on this subject of envy. Let's pray. God, we open our hearts before you today. Search us, Lord. God, I know that we all struggle with this in some way. Lord, I know there are hurting souls out there today, both here in this audience and online. People are struggling with their, their thought life. People are hurting in their emotions, Lord, and, and they're struggling with their will, their attitude, their outlook. And so, Father, we come before you, and we know that you want to restore our soul. You want to heal those hurts, Lord. You want to deliver us from that harm in the name of Jesus. But we have to get the envy out of our life. We've got to stop competing with others. We've got to stop comparing with others. We've got to stop looking at others and look to you, Jesus. And instead of being ungrateful for what we don't have, to be grateful for the good we have. Oh God, it's all about our soul. Our soul. Why are you downcast? Oh my soul, put your hope in God. 